It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, and welcome to another of the New Abnormal special bonus episodes. And we're so excited to have you. Today, we have a very special guest with NARAL President Elise Hoag, who's going to talk to us about reproductive rights and feminism in a post-Trump world. Hi, I'm so excited to have you because we actually know each other and are friends. Yes, we definitely are. You make me laugh on a daily basis, which I need. <laughs> Thank you. Tell me, and this is a very broad question, but I because we're in a situation that is so beyond the realm of comprehension, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, in the world, in our country, or with regard I, to gender justice, for women, you know, look, it's really fascinating to me. In some ways, um, I don't want to put a positive spin on it because the scorched earth approach that has been elevated to the highest level of the land through Trump and Pence has had tremendous and incalculable damage um, to women across this country. At the same time, it's so important to understand that this is who they have always been. This is who the radical right has always been. This is who the anti-choice movement has always been. And they just found someone in Trump who would say the quiet part out loud. So it has always been about control. It has always been about targeting poor women and women of color. And it has always been about, like, forcing women to adhere to a very narrow, purient view of where they think our role in society is. Yeah. Because I grew up in the world of white feminism and I am, like, pretty committed to a broader view of feminism, because I feel like we're in this very interesting time where we're seeing just exactly how much all of these misogynistic legislations are hurting women of color and low-income women. And so I'm curious to know, I see in my own personal life an enormous disconnect between these two matters. And we see it with the pandemic. We're like living in two different Americas. And I was wondering, like, what can we do? And what does NARAL do? And how do we expand white feminism, you know, and end it and have real feminism? You know, people talk about complacency vis-a-vis abortion rights specifically, but reproductive freedom more generally. And um, there has never, ever been complacency among communities of color. They couldn't afford complacency, right? So when we talk about complacency, we have to talk about white women complacency and white people complacency, by the way, because I don't think that reproductive freedom and justice should only be a women's issue. But I don't know, when I came into the movement eight years ago, and I think you know, Molly, I didn't really have a background. I've always done social justice work and organizing, but I didn't have a background in repro. I was really astonished by the number of people I talked to who were like, well, we still have Roe, you know, so it's totally fine. And it's sort of, as you're saying, this very removed theoretical relationship to what was actually playing out on the ground, but also to this idea of a right. Now, you know, being generous, what I would say is that for women's struggle, and you come from multi-generations of feminism, I don't 
really, honestly. I've learned a lot as I've gone. But um, it, what you know, what we we know is that uh, advances for gender justice really stopped with Roe, right? Like shortly after that, the ERA was defeated. And like, you know, outside of the Violence Against Women Act, which like, duh, which expired. Well, but also like that, that is not a victory. That is a baseline. <laughs> you cannot beat women up, you know, but outside of that, um, really, we, we stopped federally, we stopped with Roe. And so Roe took on this, like, not only substantive reality for women, thank God, you know, women were not dying in back alley abortions, but it took on a very symbolic role of our place in society. Now, that being said, I think, you know, it's crucially important to understand that Roe was never real for women in this country outside of middle and upper class white women. And that, in fact, what we know is that reproductive oppression takes many forms, not just denying women access to abortion, but like, how about prenatal care? How about being able to parent safely, right? How about addressing maternal mortality? The mother mortality stuff is insane. The statistics are crazy. Yeah. So, you know, for at NARAL, you know, part of our work has been in expanding the sort of way we think about legislation to be um, wholly encompassing of what, what women and pregnant people experience in their reproductive destiny. Ayanna Presley introduced this great bill called the Momnibus that we we're hugely supportive of. But I think, you know, the thing that I wanted to stress is we had to take a breath and working with um, an amazing woman named Loretta Ross, who helped found the reproductive justice movement, um, we really took on the mantle of educating our um, largely white, we're diversifying, but you, you know we're a historically white organization, audience about the history of this movement, because it is absolutely 100% grounded in racism and white supremacy. And so we wrote a book called The Lie That Vines. We did a podcast about it because our average supporter had no idea that the radical right as it exists right now, the anti-choice movement as it exists right now, didn't even oppose abortion when Roe came down. What they actually spent their time and energy doing was fighting school desegregation. And abortion became a tool and a tactic for them in a broader campaign for control of white Christian men over all systems of power in this country. And sort of using that as a foundational narrative, it became easier for us to do advocacy that was grounded in how racist these um, regressive policies are. One of the things that I think is so interesting is we are coming out of like the war shit sandwich of misogyny that this country has probably lived through in a long time. And so we have now Democrats have the presidency, they have the House, they theoretically could get the Senate, and we have this terrifying Supreme Court. It's true. I mean, this is, you know, this is the conversation in Georgia, right? All of you people who came out and voted for Biden, and particularly women for whom threats to Roe was a driving force, don't like sit back and think that any one person, much less Joe Biden, can do this on their own. Like they got what they wanted. They stacked the courts, right? And so we have a ton of work to do in terms of rebalancing the courts. But let me be clear about one thing, Molly, because this is so important. They have never actually had popular opinion on their side. Right. No, no. And they still don't. And so what do they do? 
right? They actually assert minority control through things like court capture, through things like voter suppression. And that has been really important for us to sort of both internalize and make sure we're communicating to our supporters is like the fight against abortion rights is very much grounded in the fight against a wholesome, diverse democracy. And you can't separate them out. Right. No, I mean, it's clearly we're in this insane period now where but ultimately, like I feel and you tell me I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong, but I don't think I am is we could really lose Roe. Yeah, I mean, we could, we absolutely could, and we are certainly preparing with our partners in the movement for that. You know, a lot of our work over the last few years has been about making sure that we have what we call islands of access, right? Blue states that are codifying the right to abortion, making sure that we have, like, practice in place where women can go. And at the same time, we have to walk and chew gum. So we have to do two other things. We have to make sure that we are advancing federal legislation, right, that actually secures this right. That never happened because Roe was handed down from the court. Um, And we have to keep on the courts, right? We have to have a real conversation in this country about court reform. And my friend Dahlia Lithwick, who obviously is a great court watcher and writes for Slate, always says, You have to remind the court you are watching them. They do actually care about public opinion, right? So that is why you see all of the advocacy. We call it trying the cases in the court of public opinion. Like you have to make sure that they understand where their legitimacy lies. And that is in not undercutting blatantly the will of the majority. That being said, Roe doesn't exist in many states as it is. So, you know, we've got to we've got to do all these things at once. There's no question. I can't get over that these people don't give a shit about maternal fetal health (laughs) and the fact that African-American women are dying at huge multiples. Right. In childbirth and white women are not. I mean, and then they're obsessed with taking away the right to choose when they show you who they are, like, believe them. Right. I mean, Mike Pence literally held an event celebrating life yesterday, life, I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, amid, like, I think, I think I saw this on your Twitter feed, like, the day that we recorded more COVID deaths in a single day, you know? So, like, we've got to actually speak truth about what um, they are about. And again, that's stripping them of any of the faux moral high ground that they use. They're not about life. This is absolutely about control. And the minute that they start marching in the streets with us for nutritional assistance and addressing maternal mortality and stop separating kids from their loving parents, that's when I am going to start to believe they have some moral or ethical approach, but they don't do any of that. Like what has been taken away during the Trump administration that's sort of small that we don't necessarily know, like the morning after pill or over the counter? Like, have you what have you seen that you really need we need to focus on getting back for women? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we're looking at the first hundred days as a way to just restore normalcy and 
There are a number of things that the Biden administration can and should do, including rescinding both the global and domestic gag rule, which literally strips money from clinics and health professionals that even talk about mention the word abortion, right? That was their end run on defunding Planned Parenthood, which they couldn't achieve legislatively. We absolutely want them to put in place someone who cares about science at the FDA, one of the Big things that has been held up is the advancement of the very safe medication abortion that, especially during COVID, would allow people to terminate pregnancy without exposing further risk. That is because we've had ideologues at the FDA and not actually people who put public health through a lens of science and and facts. And those pills are available in Europe. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, they have been through every trial known to humanity. So- Those are some really easy things. And then, you know, one of the things that we know that the Trump administration has done is expand the definition of, again, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see me, um, religious liberty. So you could, it's meaningless anymore, right? So, you know, we've got like um, employers who could even potentially fire a woman for having a child out of wedlock or having an abortion, right? Like that's got to go. We actually know that religious liberty in this country means you can't make me do anything because of your religion and I can't make you, but that is not what is happening right now. Yeah. Like we also have the Violence Against Women Act has expired. Yeah. I mean, I think generally we really need to take this moment as an opportunity to not just think about gender equity and gender justice in terms of policy, but like how do we make it a value in every single agency and every single piece of legislation and understand that it's been proven everywhere you go around the world that where women can survive and thrive, everything does better. Economies do better, government's GDPs go up, right? And so that has to be a guiding force. But I'm absolutely worried about these crazy people in red states who took Trump's not just presidency, but attitude as a green light to really just vilify women. So some of the things we were seeing in this state legislation that we hadn't seen previously is jail sentences for women, right? Um, That my home state of Texas held a hearing on the death penalty for women who have abortions. And we're seeing this play out. I mean, there was a very high profile case in Alabama a couple of years ago where a woman, a pregnant woman, got shot in the stomach during a fight and she was sent to jail. Right now, it was her sentence was commuted, but like in what world does that actually happen? So I am really worried about the forces unleashed by Trump continuing to dominate in some of the states where, quite honestly, women and people of color simply already have less rights, less freedom, and less pathways to justice than other people. So I'm constantly concerned that because Trump makes so much noise about himself that we don't see the big picture of what's been happening to reproductive rights uh, in America. What do you think we mostly have to rebuild in a post-Trump Biden administration? We have so much to rebuild in a post-Trump Biden administration. You know, mostly we have to rebuild the muscle that any time we are not fighting for something, we are losing it. Anytime we are not clearly stating our values, we are losing, right? And I think that we are seeing a really important and robust conversation around this, absolutely with regard to reproductive and freedom and justice, but also racial justice, right? Like 
if we are the party that actually cares about people in this way, then let's talk about it. Let's actually, because when we talk, they depend on our silence, right? When we talk about it, they actually lose because they can't answer questions that pass muster with most people about really. So like, you really want to investigate miscarriages? Really? You want no exceptions? For, but it's it's our silence that allows them to skate through on that. And so I hope that the thing that we learn is like when we stand firm in our values and we actually lead with them, then we win. Why don't we have like a sort of women's health czar? <laughs> you know, I can't answer why we don't. Should we? Absolutely. We should also have an office of, you know, gender equity. You know, these things are very much in conversation. And I hope experiencing what we've experienced with so many attacks on reproductive freedom, but also just on women over the last four years, that what feels like a symbolic act of really creating those positions, um, it captures the imagination of, you know, the Biden administration, because it would send such a clear message that that terrible era that Trump ushered in is over. I hope it, I hope it happens, because it is, it does feel like we, and especially after this pandemic, we're going to have so many people who are going to be sick. Physical health and mental health are going to be such huge issues in the next four years. And we have a women's recession, right? Women were the ones that was were absolutely driven out of the workforce as a result of COVID. And like rebuilding that is crucially important, not just for individuals, women who need the income, but actually for our economy and our progress as a country. Great. Thank you so much. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. We're just getting started and don't want you to miss an episode. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm Molly Jongfast, and he's The Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.